0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello again, Buffalo Bills fans. It's Matt Warren, editor-in-chief at buffalorumlinks.com. Back with another edition of Buffalo Rumlinks Q&A. Before we dive into this week's topics, I wanted to remind you about how you can contact the show. You can give us a phone call at 716-508-0405. That's the best way to contact the show. We could always use the audio for the podcast. And it's just the best way for us to centralize everything. You can also send us a tweet at Q and a On Twitter And that's with the word and spelled out Right in the middle of it You can leave questions in the comment section of our show notes At buffalorumblings.com Those post every Wednesday So you can search for those um, Either by going to the tab At the top of Buffalo Rumblings And searching for the podcast In the drop down menu Or by just finding it in the podcast section At buffalorumblings.com You can also find Circling the Wagons podcast there and Blitz Bills podcast there as well. All that stuff is there. You can send us an email at buffalo rumblings at sbnation.com and we'll read those onto the air. Uh, You can even send us a text to that phone line 716-508-0405. We got a great crop of questions this week um, centered around the Bills coaching search mostly and kind of where the Bills are going with that. So, Uh, Without any further ado, let's dive into it. This week's question that I'm getting a lot has to do with the number of former Carolina Panthers that head coach Sean McDermott has brought in since he came here. Most notably, general manager Brandon Bean, who followed McDermott just a few months later. But on Tuesday, the Buffalo Bills hired Keith Farwell to be their new special teams coordinator, and he came from the Carolina Panthers, so the running joke was that every single person that the Bills are hiring or signing as free agents or all that other stuff, um, all those guys are coming from the Panthers. And while it's true that Farwell is coming directly from the Carolina Panthers, he was actually hired by Carolina after Sean McDermott left in 2018. So he never actually worked with Sean McDermott in Carolina. Now the Carolina Panthers current special teams coach did work with Sean McDermott while he was there and probably highly recommended Farwell to be mcdermott's special teams coordinator but you know isn't that how you run a lot of your life too is by trusting people um your friends the people you've worked with the people you've seen do the job and trusting their opinion and whether it's hiring or bidding out a contract or whatever it happens to be at your house you would do the same thing probably so it makes sense that he at least trusts the opinion of you know people he's worked with in the past um then you look at the other guy that they hired on Tuesday, Bobby Johnson, to be their offensive line coach. Didn't come from the Carolina Panthers. Um, as best we can know, doesn't have any real strong connection to Sean McDermott or Brian Dable. Uh, so it, it's a guy that just comes with you know a good pedigree, not necessarily you know with tie to Sean McDermott. And we're going to talk about Johnson a lot in the. Uh, Later parts of this show because two of our questions uh, are centered around the new offensive line coach, so I won't steal his thunder. But if we look at some of the other folks that you know the Bills have brought in over the course of the last couple of off seasons, yeah, there's a lot of players that have Carolina Panthers connections, whether it's Latuale, Kelvin Benjamin, or lots of other guys that they've brought in uh, since they took over. And that all makes sense. Again, you want guys that you're comfortable with and you think are going to take the next step or at least replicate what they've been able to do before. So that all makes sense. Especially when you're talking about role players like Raphael Bush or Kaelin Clay, guys that came in that you knew were going to be kind of bottom of the roster guys that were going to be turned over. They at least know what they're going to expect from those guys. And then if somebody speeds beats them out, they had no problem cutting players that they had signed from Carolina just because they underperformed. Clay was gone relatively early. Bush stuck around as the third safety, as just like we expected. The year before, in 2017, Leonard Johnson was a key signing for this team, was the nickel cornerback. And again, he didn't perform up to their expectations, so they didn't re-sign him. Mike Tolbert didn't live up to expectations, so they didn't re-sign him. They've shown they're capable of moving on, even though they're, quote-unquote, a Carolina Panthers guy, they they aren't hanging on to him. And in the coaching ranks, it's the exact same thing. I mean, just look at Juan Castillo. Juan Castillo has known Sean McDermott for almost 20 years now, and McDermott had no problem pulling the trigger on removing him after just two seasons as the Bills' offensive line coach. So while, yeah, there's definitely some – connections with the Carolina Panthers and Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. It's not crazy the amount that they're doing it. And they're certainly not doing it to the detriment of the team, especially when you look at the two most recent coaching hires who, while one came from the Carolina Panthers, didn't even work with McDermott while McDermott was there. So while it's a question I'm getting a lot about former uh, Carolina Panthers players and coaches, and of course, former Eagles players and coaches, that Sean McDermott worked with. I don't think it's something that's happening to the detriment of the Buffalo Bills moving forward in 2019. How are you doing? This is Rick. Uh, My question is, it's concerning to me. I'm an offensive line guy. played it, love it. Uh, That's what I watch at the games. Why are they dragging so feet, their feet so long? Hiring an offensive line coach, um, it's like it's being a secondary coaching position, and that's probably the weakest point of our team right now. I think they should have been at the forefront to grab somebody from college or the NFL ranks when this coaching carousel started. Why why are they dragging their feet? What's taking them so long? They're going to be left with a scrap, and that's not good. Thanks. Hi, Rick. Thanks for calling in at 716-508-0405. Uh, the Buffalo Bills fired offensive line coach Juan Castillo on January 2nd, 2019. They didn't waste very much time after their final game to do that. It was just a few days later, and he was the first coach that they let go. And the speed of that firing really thought you know a lot of people would – a lot of people thought that they would be looking at someone specifically. That didn't turn out to be the case. They waited all the way until Tuesday, January 15th to hire Bobby Johnson from the Indianapolis Colts. Um, Of course, our caller Rick didn't know that when he left the voicemail uh, earlier in the week, but uh, we're still going to answer the question anyway. And uh, I think it's kind of a misnomer to say that they, we're kind of waiting. Um, they had requested an interview with Sean Cugler of the Denver Broncos, former Buffalo Bills offensive line coach, former Pittsburgh Steelers offensive line coach. They had requested an interview with him as early as January sixth, if not sooner than that. That's just when we found out about it. So that was just a few days after they fired Castillo. Uh, then Cugler goes through this whole thing where maybe he signs in Tampa Bay or agrees to a contract, and then they, something changed. Uh, He ended up not going there, uh, eventually landing with the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, So that's one guy down. And then maybe they're left scrambling. Maybe they have, you know, plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D, and they're just working through their options. They eventually interview former uh, offensive line coach, former Packers offensive coordinator, and former Dolphins head coach, uh, Joe Philbin, uh, just on Monday, that was reported. And then Tuesday, out of the blue, they they hired Johnson. So it actually wasn't even the Colts offensive line coach that they thought that they might be hiring because Brian Dable has experience working with the Indianapolis Colts offensive line coach who was just fired on Tuesday. Dave DeGuglielmo, and I apologize if I mispronounced that name, uh, but Coach DeGuglielmo uh, worked with Brian Dable when they were both in Miami, and Dable was the offensive coordinator for Miami. They worked together in New England when Dable was the tight ends coach, and DeGuglielmo was the assistant offensive line coach and offensive line coach in New England. So they had a, a history going back. So when he was fired by Indianapolis, everyone's like, "Oh, they should give him a call." Uh, instead, they called his assistant, which probably is not a coincidence. Um, but I mean, who knows where where that guy's going to end up? You know, in the long run, if he wanted to come to Buffalo, if he didn't want to come to Buffalo, if he didn't want to work for Dable, but recommended his assistant, you know, who knows what happens? But that was an entire process over the course of two weeks, and those are only the interviews we know about; those are only the conversations we know about. So maybe they weren't dragging their feet. They were just kind of working behind the scenes, trying to get this guy or that guy um, interviewing people, being judicious. Like they say, they're going to be with the uh, salary cap and the free agent spending this year. So I, I don't fault them for that, for being cautious and being judicious, but yeah, it did seem from the outside, like they were missing out on some of the better offensive line options, but even now, the Cincinnati Bengals fired their offensive line coach just to, um, just on Tuesday. So it's not like teams aren't remaking their uh, aren't making remaking their offensive line coaches right now. The, the Colts and Bengals just did both on the same day that the Bills hired their guys. So there's two more openings. There's still openings in Miami where guys have to hire coaches and, and kind of all over the place. And don't forget, Frank Rick was one of the last people to hire coaches last year even though his offensive line coach was in place because Josh McDaniels had already hired to Whoops. Um, you know, he was one of the last guys, he was the last guy to get hired. And so he was hiring from, you know, the back of the pack on a lot of his position coaches and they still were able to turn it around in 2018. So it's not always an indication of the type of coach you're going to get when you actually hire them. So, I mean, it's a very good question. It's a valid question and one that, um, I've been hearing and a concern I've been hearing, but it obviously, you know, they got a qualified candidate who's kind of an up and comer in the industry. So, you know, the the Colts were able to turn it around last year and maybe um, Bobby Johnson is the key to turning around the bills offensive line in 2019, along with some judicious free agent spending and some draft capital invested in the positions. Thanks again for the question, Rick. And if uh, you guys are new to Buffalo Rumblings or Buffalo Rumblings Q&A, you'll know I'm kind of not really a knee-jerk reaction kind of guy. I'm more of a let's-let-it-play-out kind of guy. So those are the kind of answers you're going to get from me. Yeah, hello. This is Rich Quotamine, a.k.a. RDQ Geography. Bills fan here in Philadelphia. The offensive line and the talent have to basically mesh, As in, the OL coach has to choose a scheme, and then the players have to fit around that. Now, as we found out earlier today, the offensive line coach has been selected. The former assistant OL coach there at uh, Indianapolis, and, and he has, from what I understand, come recommend come recommended, excuse me, from a variety of sources. Period. So given what he's run and successfully run in Indianapolis, comma, what kind of talent do we need to get both free agency and in the draft that would fit his scheme? Thanks. Take care. Bye. Hi, Richard. Thanks for your call. And thanks for following us on Twitter at Rumblings q and And thanks for giving us a call here at 716-508-0405. And uh, you ask an interesting question about the scheme and the offensive line coach meshing. But um, I, I think it goes far beyond that, if you look at the Colts offensive line that turned it around this year with Bobby Johnson as our assistant offensive line coach, four of the five starters, uh, that were starting in that middle of the season stretch where Andrew Luck went, I think five games without being sacked for the five of those guys were selected in the first or second round. The Colts made a significant investment over the last year and a half, two years to protect Andrew Luck and Frank Reich even made it a point after he was hired to say that it's the most important thing. Um, the Colts had a real rough stretch in 2017. Uh, even at one point, giving up 10 sacks to the Jack- Jackson Jaguars in one game uh, they just, I mean, they were terrible and T Y Hilton called them out and it became a big thing. Like is, you know, Hilton wrong? No, Hilton's not wrong. They were terrible. They just gave up 10 sacks. So, uh, it was really slowing down their offense. And so what they did was they invested in some, um, some, some draft prospects, Quentin Nelson, of course, being the, the, the largest one. Um, I don't know if he's literally the largest one, but certainly, uh, the, the largest investment and they, they just went after it. Um, in, and they added depth, and that was important too because they lost several games uh, to injury this year along their offensive line and had to kind of reset when Austin Howard didn't make the team because they had so much great depth. So I think it has a lot to do with the horses that are in the race, not just the jockey that's kind of pushing them into you know a specific scheme. I'm not going to claim to be an expert on the way that the Colts blocked last year versus the year before, or how teams that have had Bobby Johnson as their offensive line coach are are set up. But I know that the Bills ran through problems with Rick Dennison's zone blocking scheme two years ago. They changed it up to be um, a little bit more straightforward in 2018. And uh, with younger players, that made a lot of sense. And just with the players that they had in general, it made a lot of sense. And I think that this offseason, as they invest in that position, whether it's you know bringing in a free agent center, or guard, tackle, whoever, or drafting guys, they're going to make an investment in players that can contribute to that offensive line that they want to create. And they have the capital both in the draft and in free agency to to do that and bring in the players that actually make sense, not just the players that they can find for a cheap price. So um, I think you can see a pretty big turnaround in the offensive line this offseason, even though there aren't some great free agent options there's enough of them out there where they can have a big upgrade and frankly <laughs> they're set pretty low from 2018 um, and to 2017 so uh, they almost have nowhere to go but up along the offensive line thanks again for your question and thanks for being a bills fan in philadelphia <laughs> This week's Twitter question of the week comes from Ian Carbody, Hunter 16 on Twitter. He asks, it's the third year of McBean. Is it imperative for them to make the playoffs? If there's a change, who goes and who stays? Uh, McBean refers to Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. It's the little relationship nickname that most bands on Twitter and Buffalo Rumblings and, and, and head coach. I don't think it's imperative to make the playoffs in, in 2009. Terry Pagouli gave the keys to the franchise, Sean McDermott, and he rewarded them with a playoff trip in the first year, whether he, you know, lucked into that playoff berth or not, it still needs to be said. Uh, And then Brandon Bean cleared something like $60 million in dead cap space in 2018. So it's, They pulled it down to the studs. You would at least think they would give them a chance to build it back up. And they drafted Josh Allen. Uh, Need to give him, you would think, at least two full seasons, if not three full seasons, before they pull the plug on the rookie quarterback. And especially with the holes that they had on the offensive line and at wide receiver and kind of really all over the place, you just think that – I. You know, I, I don't get the sense that people are giving up on Sean McDermott. You know, the Bills played hard all the way through the end of the 2018 season on the field and in the practice room. by Reports, um, you know, there were announcers in books saying that they'd never seen a team practice that hard when they were eliminated from the playoffs. So. He's got the locker room. He's got, you know, an upward trajectory. I would think um, in the two thousand nineteen season. Now, of course, if everything falls apart and they go like, you know, two and fourteen, and you know Nathan Peterman gets resigned, and they have to roll with that, we might be talking about something different a year from now. But I don't see that happening. He's got guys that really want to play for him. They've got a ton of cap space to improve the team. They got draft capital to improve the team. It just seems like. They are primed for a much better season in 2019 and not necessarily a plus or bust in 2019. Now, if they do miss the playoffs in 2019, I think you might start saying that about 2020 because, you know, by then they'll have had several years of their guys coming in. It'll be 100% their roster. Um, It, it, they just won't have any excuses anymore. So they're building toward that um, obviously. And, I think that they're going to get that time uh, to go all the way to at least 2020 uh, before any of those changes are going to happen. So thanks for the tweet, Ian. Uh, He tweeted us at Rumblings Q&A. That's with the word and spelled out in the middle of it. Brian Rosignol. Shortsville, New York. Uh, my question is, given being used the word judicious to describe free agent signees, can you expect a splash signing or trade? Or would that undermine the culture? Or is the culture strong enough to withstand the high profile case? Thank you. Hi Brian, and thanks for the question from Shortsville, New York out near Canandaigua place. I've uh, driven through at least once or twice. Um, do I expect a, a big splash free agent signing or trade? Um, it's, I guess it depends on what you consider a a big splash. Um, I don't think that uh, they might sign the top offensive lineman off of the free agent list, but is that a splash? Probably. I mean, I guess it might be, you can see that happening for sure. Um, but a guy like Le'Veon Bell or Antonio Brown, I don't anticipate the Bills adding either of those two players. And for for Bell, it's more because of you know what they have at the running back situation right now. And for Brown, it's just because I don't think the Steelers are going to trade Brown. They he's going to cost the same to them whether he's on the team or not. So I would imagine that they're going to try to keep him on the team at all costs. Um, as far as actions go and guys undermining the culture, I can't think of. a a ton of stuff that would be worse than what LaShawn McCoy has done. in during Sean's tenure as Bill's head coach, he's been accused of domestic violence and many other um, problematic behaviors. He has been um, a little bit of, of me first. He even called out his offensive line during the college football national championship game in early 2019. Um, He just, doesn't seem like the guy that would fit into the um, mold, but I mean, they even named him a captain this year in 2018. So it's, it's not something I'm necessarily worried about someone coming in and undermining the culture. I think they've got a, a good group of leaders um, that has been quickly eroding over the last few years with Kyle Williams gone and, um, you know They'll probably try to re-sign Lorenzo Alexander. So if Alexander comes back, he's at least one trusted veteran in the locker room. But they have guys like um, Micah Hyde in the back of the defense. Um, they've got Tremaine Edmonds, who, while he's a second-year player, is the son of an NFL player and and has that kind of leadership experience. They have Tredavious White that took on a leadership role at LSU and probably will take on a leadership role in the Bills locker room moving forward. They've got guys in the offense that – can step up like Patrick DeMarco, who's been there over and over again. Um, Excuse me. They've, you know, they've got some leaders that are in some strategic rooms and they're probably going to add some in free agency. I'm not necessarily worried about somebody coming in and undermining the culture because Sean McCarmon's been so great. Bean's been so great at identifying guys that fit that culture. Um, You know, Harrison Phillips, everyone calls him a carbon copy of Kyle Williams and just the guys that guys that they brought Josh Allen's, you know, every time he opens his mouth, he says something that the coach is probably going to love, and keeps it football first. And, and F course, Edmonds does the same. Thing. And you know, and then Phillips. Those are your top three guys from the 2018 NFL Draft that are just you know in lock with you every step of the way. So, no worry. You know, somebody coming in and really under as a big splash free agent signing or uh, as a trade piece. Thanks again for the question from Shortsville. Got a bonus Twitter question today from at Bill's Ball. Scott asks us, how much influence will the owner survey have on the new stadium if they themselves feel the best business decision is to locate a dome downtown, but the survey says renovate Orchard Park? Um, I um, am a firm believer that The Bills are going to build a brand-new stadium in downtown Buffalo for a lot of different reasons. I think New York State wants it there. I think Erie County probably wants it there. And it just makes a lot of sense for the Pagoulas to put it down there as well. Um, The survey is due diligence. Um, They sent that out. Uh, earlier this month to season ticket holders and folks that have bought tickets through buffalobills.com over the last, I don't know. I I don't get the like statistics of how they determined who they sent it to, but like just people that have been buying tickets. And um, you know, a lot of fans that I've heard from have said that tailgating is the number one reason they go to bills games or, or one of the top reasons that they go to the bills games. And so they're putting that down on the survey and that makes a ton of sense. But um, if Erie County wants to, and, and New York State want to revitalize downtown Buffalo, their best bet would be to put that stadium downtown to at least draw more folks on a Sunday. Um, I'm not saying it's a great idea because they're going to have to do a ton of infrastructure upgrades, but if you're talking about the eight regular season games and two preseason games plus all the other events that can be held at that stadium – It makes more sense to put it in Buffalo than Orchard Park if you're going to be spending $500 million anyway or $600 million anyway to be renovating the stadium. And that's not what a lot of folks want to hear. I get that. Um, Tailgating doesn't make the bills any money. It doesn't really help New York State make any money either off of bars, uh, restaurants, things like that because people are going to the supermarket, buying their supplies and going there, which doesn't really move the needle a lot because they could be doing that at home. Um, you know, When you up, start upcharging stuff, then sales tax goes up. So that makes sense that they would get more revenue from that. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be enough revenue to offset the cost of building a new stadium. You know, survey after survey has proven that um, in multiple NFL and pro sports cities. But from the Pergula's perspective, That's not going to be the case. They're going to make a lot more money if they centralize everything inside the stadium. So they're one of the people that was lobbying for alcohol sales, the the brunch bill that passed in New York State a a year or two ago, where you could sell alcohol before noon on a Sunday. And they tried to get it to be where it was just in like a 10,000 feet or a 10,000 seat fixed seat venue, like, you know, a massive sports stadium but New York state passed it where it's any place can sell alcohol before noon on a Sunday. And there's obviously restrictions on that and things like that. But what they want from that is they want people coming into the stadium and buying food and buying drinks and buying souvenirs and spending money on events that are inside the stadium gates. That's how they make extra money. That's how they keep a lot of that revenue local. Um, even if it raises the ticket prices for some Bills fans, I don't think it's going to affect their bottom line very much because they're going to be able to make a lot more revenue by decentralizing tailgating and bringing more people into the stadium before 1245 when you see that kind of big exodus from you know, the parking lots into New Era Field or Rich Stadium or whatever you want to call it. You see those those people come in at the very last minute, don't buy anything inside, then leave. And that's not making the Pagulas very much money. You're also going to see some cut down on the buffoonery, or at least the videotaping of it, because it's going to be more spread out, I would think. And if you raise ticket prices, you're also going to, and take away the tailgating, you're going to obviously remove a certain element of it. Now, for me personally, I'm at a point in my life where I've got kids, I don't want to bring them to a Bills game because it's hard to walk through the parking lot with you know a 7-year-old and a 12-year-old or whatever. And so I'm not going to Bill's games right now. If they get rid of some of the buffoonery in the parking lot, then maybe I'll be more likely to bring my family of four to the, to the game. So one family can replace two sets of, you know, two buffoons. I mean, and I use that term lovingly because I have certainly gone to, to tailgates and, and had a good time at those tailgates with lots of friends and just had a really nice time but I'm at a different point in my life right now. And I think that that word kind of encapsulates kind of the stuff that we did when we were in the parking lot. So I'm okay, like putting that on me and on, you know, the rest of you guys that are you know acting buffoonish sometimes. Um, it's, it's obviously a really complex issue, but if they get the surveys back and it says that 97% of the, the people that have bought tickets at New Era Field over the last five years, Would refuse to go to a new stadium downtown They might revisit it But I think New York State wants it downtown I think Erie County wants it downtown I think the Pagoulas want it downtown So when most of your stakeholders Want it in a specific spot It makes sense that that's where it's going to be Thanks again for the question, Scott And uh, it's definitely something We're going to have to watch over the next Several years as we get towards The end of this lease that was signed um, Just a few years ago that's going to do it for this episode of Buffalo Rumbling's Q&A. Uh, my name is Matt Warren uh, we would love it if you would call in and leave us a voicemail at 716 508 Send us a tweet at Rumlings Q&A. Send us Buffalo Rumblings at SBNation.com There's lots of ways to get in touch With the show and we would love to hear From you uh, We'll be answering your questions all off season As the Bills add a wide receivers coach probably. Um, We'll be talking about kind of some potential free agent targets as more stuff starts to shake out. Um, Maybe you'll have some questions about the, you know, the pro bowl or the super bowl or the conference championship games next week. Um, And then we'll be right into NFL draft talk with the combine in, uh, in late February and early March. And there'll be a lot more draft talk by then. In addition to the free agent talk that'll no doubt be happening in, in mid March. So Lots and lots and lots of questions. Um, Our our podcast uh, posts every Wednesday. So give us a call anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Leave your messages with us and uh, we can answer them and get them out for some discussion. Uh, Thanks again for calling in everybody that called in today. Uh, Go to com to find some show notes with some links. And we look forward to talking to you next week on Buffalo Rollings Q&A. I think 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 think I 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 think